All right, welcome to our podcast here at Travel Mouth. We are uh, with a friend of ours, Todd, and we're going to be talking uh, about some of his exciting food uh, adventures and travels. And uh, so let's talk food. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Thanks for coming on, man. I'm great, brother. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. So you're you're not even uh, home today, and you're still checking in. Where are you at these days? Uh, home home is, seems to be something in the Marriott family of hotels, but uh, right <laughs> nice. now I'm in Austin. Yeah. Uh, this week I was in Denver, and then right now I'm in Austin, and tomorrow I'm going to Salt Lake. Oh man, you you should be our travel correspondent. I swear you you just you get around more than anybody I know, and I I love it. It's fun to follow you, and then it's also fun to check in with you and hear about all your your fun travels. Yeah, well, I function for a lot of people as just a mobile restaurant guide. So I've like a dozen or so people that are always, like, "Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. Where do I eat?" And like, "Hey, that this that 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 that." And this is supposed to be great. And uh, it makes that brings, brings, you... brings me joy. Yeah, and it, it's that food connection to people thing. It like gives you that kind of contact where people are always going to hit you up. They're like, "I know Todd was just there." Like, "Whoa, I have to ask him." And and you come through, man. You've got the good uh, suggestions. I'll confirm that. I appreciate it. I remember when you came yeah. to visit and we, I think we went to 17 restaurants in a day or something. That, was- <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds like us. Maybe a couple breweries in there. That's on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and something that I really enjoyed uh, on my visit was that breakfast sandwich. And and that's something that you kind of touched on a little bit in your survey. You mentioned uh, Calabrian chilies and, and breakfast foods. And so I wanted to kind of get into that right away because, man, that's something that's really like right in the front of my mind was how good that sandwich was. And it was funny because we were talking about where we wanted to go for breakfast. And it was like, well, if we do that, then we don't do the breakfast sandwich. And you're like, no, let's do both. Nice. Yeah. yeah Clever Chili is a great plan. That's the cheat code, man. That's the up, down, AB select start of breakfast. Oh, sandwich that was right there. Fantastic. And why do you think yeah. it is that the, the Calabrian chili specifically works so well with breakfast foods? Uh, it just adds a little bit of spice and, and like heat and uh, just more of a savory character to whatever you're doing. And they just marry with eggs like, God, Romeo and Juliet. It's like that. Is, that's what I noticed. Yeah, there's something about the fat of the yolk and sort of that, I don't know, like slightly fruity heat of the, the mm-hmm. Calabrian chili. I completely agree. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's a, a thing I've ever had before necessarily, at least not in that format, not in a breakfast format. But man, is it good. Yeah, I think I was just screwing around trying to figure out if uh, chili crisp, you know, like uh, like a Chinese chili paste or Chinese chili crisp would have worked better. And that was pretty yummy and tried a handful of different things. And then th- I tried that and I was like, well, there's really no reason to do anything else. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be, I, it's like, and I have just... done the chili crisp and egg things and I would agree, too. I thought that was better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, who would have thought? So when when you uh, answered about what your dream food destination and meal uh, was, one of them you... Uh, you mentioned was the is it pronounced Favikin in Sweden? Oh, Favikin, yeah, that was yeah, probably Favikin. the best meal. If it wasn't the best meal of my life, it's top three for sure. Um, yeah, I remember uh, my the person I was with at the time. Um, I called her and I said, "Hey, I, I was following uh, the chef Magnus Nielsen on Instagram, and he had just posted uh, reservations for Favikin the next season go live at." three o'clock or whatever. And I texted her and I was like, Hey, do you want to go to Favikin? And she's like, the place from chef's table. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I like got on and booked the tickets. I'm like, all right, now we have to plan a trip to Scandinavia, which we'd never been to. <laughs> so, so the trip was to go to the restaurant. That is awesome. 
pretty much. And it I, was a spectacular I didn't know, trip. Okay. I didn't know it started with dinner reservations. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that was the catalyst. Was that his post on Instagram uh, and then me booking the tickets? And I'm like, all right, we got we got it. We're going we're going. And she was super excited. And the whole time, like it literally we flew into Copenhagen. And, and then I think I, I couldn't remember. I feel like we rented a car in Copenhagen and then drove over to Stockholm, which mm-hmm. is only maybe four, four hours. It wasn't real bad. OK, but then the uh, and there for a couple of days, Stockholm Stellar really loves Sweden. Um, and then it was in uh, Favikin, it was in a town called Yarpen in northern Sweden, this little ski town. Okay. And it was literally eight hours of driving from oh. leaving Stockholm, yeah, uh, that day. And we got there, I think the meal was at six, and we left at like 9 a.m. and we stopped for lunch along the way, but just drove straight, wow. straight for eight hours. Got there, and the whole time we're like, all right, hey, just be ready to be disappointed. You know, I mean, it looks amazing. I'm sure it'll be a great meal no matter what, but don't expect it to be the best thing of all time. And it literally, I mean, soup to nuts, service, everything was just unforgettable, so creative. So the feeling of hospitality it just far exceeded most anything else I'd experienced in 99% of dining out I'd had. Wow. And based on what I know from that chef, you were probably exposed to some ingredients that you weren't even familiar with because he's such a good local resource person. Oh, yeah. He's foraging. So... Only time in my life I've ever seen a human being in person have an emo- an involuntary emotional experience to food. Wow. Uh, and it was, yeah, it's my ex. Uh, and at the time, there, there was a course that I think he had across, like he kept it no matter what, seasonality, everything else. I think he could always yeah. get crab up there because it's so far north. And there's a, there's a course that's just a piece of king crab leg. It's maybe three, four inches long. And a slightly burnt cream, so a little dollop of cream that's like torched. Mm. And it, yeah, the texture of the crab is just this thin membrane of skin around it, and then it's almost like custard when you bite into it. It's the most perfect. If you if you enjoy seafood, <laughs> and I do, for me, I don't know as <laughs> yeah, same 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 seafood by far my favorite. Um, mine too. <laughs> if I live to be a hundred, yeah, if I live to be a hundred, I don't know I'll ever be able to recreate that, and I'll probably always be chasing it. Wow. Um, but I, she took a bite and like just for a half second started crying and had stopped herself and like was stunned at what had just happened. Like it was fully involuntary. And it was such a memorable thing because I that's the only time I've ever seen that happen. And she just looked at it and she's like, I, I, that's the best thing I've ever eaten. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I just it was so impactful or memorable or it, just interesting to have. And I feel like when experiences happen like that, it's not just what's on the plate. It's also that she was in, they had, they had created an environment where that sort of thing could happen. Like everything led up to that, you know, yeah, the service, that, that the, the, the lighting, magic, the, the magic. Yeah. The magic was there and it, it kind of allowed her to have a next level experience. And, you know, like they talk about fine dining going away and it not really being like a tenable thing anymore, but um, I hope that experiences like that are still findable, you know, in, in some way, whatever form it takes in the future, that they're still able to create a, a greater experience than just the food, which is what it, definitely he's doing. So, yeah, 100 percent. I agree that I don't know the sustainability of it in, the current, in its current format yeah. is questionable without some I agree. sort of evolution. Um, I think they're but I think that's what happens is people evolve because creativity is definitive of kind of I mean, both us as a country but also food as an art media uh, medium yeah. sorry um but yeah so just think it's funny enough i was, I was scrolling through instagram earlier today 
and I uh, saw the server who I remained friends with for five or six years now. That is our servers because he's so spectacular. Oh, that's that awesome. Meal. That She's sounds like you City. too. I, I completely yeah. believe that because that, that is so you. You're like, I got to know these people. That's great. Yeah. It's like, you're important to have in my circle. I love you. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I latch on to That's just the biggest thing that attracts me to any human being is passion. Like, awesome. The, I, the I'm restaurants I've, Yeah. The restaurants I've been involved in evolved in because I like, absolutely loved and adored the chef and believed in everything they were doing. And it, just their passion was what, Hell yeah. I was like, no matter what you're doing, I want to be a part of it. And I believe that you're going to be really successful in it. So but he this guy really conveyed passion his name is Hampus Holdhum and he's in Mexico City right now eating his way around I'm like dude you gotta go check out blah 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 blah. he's like I knew you would have of course course. yes (laughs) yes that's great well is he is he working at a cool place now is he set up at a restaurant Uh, or is he just traveling I think right now he's traveling but I'm sure he'll you know with with that on your resume it's like not gonna be hard oh he'll do fine you know so here, here's a bit of a weird question. Was there any puffin on the menu? I've had puffin, but I don't recall it being on that menu. Okay. Just because that's there the scene some... that sticks out in my mind the most. <laughs> yeah, of, there was uh, rain, of reindeer. Table. Ooh, yeah, okay. I've really... heard that's actually quite good. Mm-hmm. I think, as I recall, it was a uh, char- almost like charcuterie or like a sliced cured oh, meat sort of style. Okay. But, you know, and no- nothing weird or funky or crazy about it but it was nicely uh presented and very you know um balanced and thoughtful and everything you'd want from that caliber yeah as as would be expected so another restaurant you mentioned is a restaurant in la that in naka restaurant and i'm i'm actually not too familiar although i have heard of them and I've, i've i've seen pictures but i don't know too much about them to even give any leading question can you tell me about in naka yeah, it's, it's kind of one of my white whale restaurants. I haven't been yet. Every time I'm in L.A., which is only when I have to go, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of that town, but um, they yeah. does have amazing food. Uh, I always try to get on the waiting list, and I've yet to be lucky enough to get in. Um, but it's a, a female Japanese chef, uh, one of the most lauded, I want to say, either in Los Angeles or in the, in the U.S., uh, but fought against all odds to open her own spot um, doing a tasting menu, sort of Kaiseki-esque uh, meal, even in her family was the most non-supportive uh, group ever in this, Wow, which is really sad. So there's, I think it was a chef's table. I forget what, the, one of those really artistically done uh, docu-series and one of the episodes was on her and I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, her food is gorgeous and spectacular and I think she has two Michelin stars now, but it's, you know, well-deserved. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. No wonder she's really impressive. In. Yeah. Uh, impressive human being, impressive food. Uh, like it's just been high that, that, and that one other spot in LA, uh, are kind of my white whale restaurants right now. Um, it's like a three-star spot called Vespertine, but my buddy, uh, I went to, he's a food writer down in San Diego. So we became friends. Um, I went to Favakin and he saw the picture and he's like, all right, pictures. And he's like, all right, we got to do that. And he and his wife went the following season, which ended up being the final I was I was the second to last season going, and then Magnus shut the restaurant down. And he's like, I'm, I asked him his honest feedback. I was like, what did you think? And he's like, I'm pretty sure it's the best meal I've ever had in my life. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, okay, cool. Because I didn't want to say that, but that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> yeah, you didn't want to feed him the line. You're like, you're like, I, I know it was the best I've ever had. What about you? <laughs> that's great. So why why did he shut it down? What was the reasoning there? Uh, well, I know he had, a, he had started a family. 
Um, and yeah. maybe the sustainability thing is also out. Okay. The middle I wondered if that was part of BF- it. Yeah. I mean, it's little is not accessible to, by any means for any reason. Uh, sure. you really, it's dedicated to get the hell out there. But anyway, that same friend who I trust a lot, um, that's a food writer, uh, like the following year went to Vesper team in Los Angeles. He's like, I would argue that might even be better. And I'm like, shit. Okay. I have to go to this place. <laughs> oh, and, and so Vespertine, what kind of food is that? Is that Italian food? I don't even know what that would be. Uh, it's it's like modern American, um, okay. but really beautifully, be- like the architecture, the space, uh, like every component of it's really well thought out. Um, I've only seen pictures. The chef's name is uh, Jordan. I forget the last name, but super impressive. I'm pretty sure they have three Michelin stars now. One of only a very few places in LA that have them. Um, and yeah, that's kind of been the other like two I'm really dying to do at some point. Uh, so but they went to a, a different like... format. Yeah. What was what's the format change to? In the pandemic. I I think I don't know that they're back serving dinner again yet, but they did like takeaway ah. meals and things like that. So I'm not certain they're back to actually doing seated meals. Okay. Uh, which would be would be a bummer if they don't ever do it. Anyway. Yeah, I would bet that at the three star, man, that's probably gonna take a little while to get a reservation out, I would guess. Yeah, Beth. Yeah, it's a... That's the hard part, unless you've got connections. I mean, you know, L.A., well, I guess. It, and that leads into something else we kind of had, had had a short discussion on, but not uh, not in depth. Now, you've got some plan regarding Michelin star restaurants? Oh, okay. So this is sort of interesting. I, I, a few years ago, I think it was 2018. I find it very interesting. I <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. I, uh, Please have, like, give us severe, the scoop. I have severe ADD that I've channeled into food somehow. Um, oh, man. Just, I, and I'm so glad we're friends. <laughs> so back i think it was like 2017 2018 i saw somebody had set a record of eating at 24 restaurants in 24 hours and another food writer buddy of mine uh was living in the, in the southeast at the time I was like i bet we could do more than that i'm like well hell yeah we could do more than that <laughs> like it's like i think we could probably eat at 50 restaurants in a day I'm like well hell yeah we could do that <laughs> so started planning it uh and with the help of my ex and the two other friends that were foodies or food writers, um, we ate at 50, actually 51 restaurants in Manhattan in 17 hours, um, which I, be- I believe was a record at the time. Um, submitted a Michelin, I'm sorry, Michelin to uh, a Guinness. Yes. Yeah. And I was like super excited. I'd saved all the receipts. We'd posted at all the restaurants. We had documented the whole thing. If you feel like scrolling back through Instagram, it's uh, at CrossFit 50, five zero. Instead of CrossFit, we call it CrossFat. CrossFat. And the hell of a day, we walked 25 miles that day. We had to map the whole thing out to find restaurants that were open and like call all of them ahead and then try to explain to each of them what the hell crazy thing it was we were doing. And some were really stoked and they would like post on their social media. And some were like, you know, very much New Yorkers about it. Like, what the hell? Don't bother us. You know, like, so it was a challenge. I mean, it was a challenge across the board. We lucked out with good weather that day. We did get to all... 51 we actually well we had to call a couple audibles in there and i did one extra mm-hmm. just in case it didn't count i don't want to be stuck at 49 but then right. i submitted all this shit to, to guinness and i'm like all right here's all the receipts and here's like the whole math that we did and like here's where we went and here's where we ate and blah, blah blah and fuck me if they didn't come back and say uh well we can't you know really the metric for this doesn't work like they're not all italian restaurants or they're not all sushi restaurants i'm like what asshole do you have to be? What kind of asshole do you have to be to eat like at a 50 Italian restaurants in a day? And why is that interesting? You know, like, <laughs> who, who cares? Like, 
So fast forward and this like, and a lot of my friends saw me do this on social media and everything because we posted all day. Everywhere we went, we posted a picture and blah, blah, blah. And people like, this is more interesting than the Grammys. I love it. And uh, we, we finished it and it was, holy moly, we were on a cloud. And yeah, we'd walked like almost 26 miles that day, almost a full Yeah, marathon. the walking part I didn't know about until today. That's that's another interesting element to the entire thing. That's that's wild. Yeah, it, it added a layer of complexity because we really wanted to walk yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, so burning like, them calories. Off. You got it. Yeah, we ended up yeah. pretty calorie neutral. We ate one dish at each place, and it was their signature thing. So we went to like the best bagel place in New York, the oh, best pizza place oh. in New York, the best. Man, I, I love living that way. I, that's the way to live. I mean, you condensed it into a day, but like, wow, yeah, that's great. I, I'm I'm a one, one item guy for sure. Same, yeah, one bite at a time. Just want the best. Yeah. I'm all about quality, not quantity. Yeah, uh, me too. Counterintuitive to eating at 50 restaurants in a day. But, um, well, <laughs> so this, this guy, is 50 this beautiful flowers that you want to buzz up to and, and get one little taste of the nectar <laughs> and then on to the next flower. I love it. Happy hummingbird. That's right. So, I don't know, a few months ago, this guy in New York set the record with Guinness reading at the most Michelin star restaurants in a day. And he ate at 18, uh, 17 of which were two, a single star. And then one of which was two stars and every media outlet possible picked this up. And so every human being I know sends me this article like, Hey, did you see that? I'm like, yes, of course yes, I saw it. <laughs> I see the same media you see. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, so I'm still a little salty about, you know, Guinness, uh, not recognizing that oh, reward or award or whatever you want to call it or that yeah. record. So my buddy in Denver, who I used to work at the same brewery with back in Florida, um, is like, dude, we can beat this. I'm like, yeah, we can. <laughs> so we've kind of begun planning. We've been communicating with Guinness to make sure there's no, you know, missed anything. So we actually have to wear GPS trackers. Uh, ah. They've set all the, all the guidelines out. And so we're trying to plan how to, you know, budget stomach space and where can we go that um, actually has like an a la carte menu. And so the goal is to set both the stars record for a day because his is mm -hmm. 19, the existing one. We want mm -hmm. to smash that and also set the record for the most three Michelin star restaurants in a day, which would be all five in New York if we can pull it off. Wow. And I think there's a third restaurant, one in there, but and it would be the most stars in a day, the most restaurants in a day, and then the most three star restaurants in a day. So do you have if to be we're... seated in the restaurant for it to count? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so this is, right. this is a full on restaurant experience, not just a to go entree or something. Right, yeah, you can't. None of the three star places do check uh, take out anyway. But we, our goal okay. is to meet at all all five three star places because there used to be seven in New York, and two of them lost their a star. So we're, we're going to try to go to all five three star places, and then hit a handful of two, and then there's a few of one star that do breakfast. So we're hoping we can knock those in there. Ha oh, ha! Nice, that helps. So minimum, yeah, we should set the three star record and also the most stars in a day record. I don't know if we'd actually beat the quantity of restaurants that other guy went to but i also don't care because i already did more than double when we did crossfat so yeah you know, whatever and then that's the thing is when you get pressed for this then you just add that say well you know years oh, ago yeah. i did years ago i did this other thing and i was like okay <laughs> you know i'm gonna <laughs> okay good because i was gonna say yeah dove, dovetail that right into the to the conversation mm. crowbar that right and that's like that's cute that guy went to 18 restaurants that's that's not bad that's cute. <laughs> it's a good start, you know. <laughs>
So right. what is it about these uh, top end restaurants, these exciting chefs um, that you you mentioned passion is one thing that really uh, you connect with? Like where where does that where do you think that connection comes from? Why do you think that is so inspiring to you or um, resonates so well with you? Well, I'll be honest with you, the the three star spots, uh, I mean, they've really achieved something spectacular. Uh, it, yeah. I don't know that the passion or the drive. Um, it's still there at that point after the achievement of three stars. I think it's the people that are either trying to get a star or have mm. a star. Mm-hmm. I, tra- I traveled Europe a fair amount in the past uh, couple of years and tried to, every chance I got that I you know could have within cost, like affordability, was able to go to a Michelin star spot. I did and um, went to a handful of two star places. And I noticed that really by far the best food I had or the most um, passionate feeling experience I had was always at the one star spots. And that just seemed to be where they really worked their butt off to get that, but they didn't really care about the polish and the the white tablecloth and all the other little things that take you from one to two. Um, One star is really just based on the food. It's the consistency, quality, creativity, execution of the food. Um, Two is when you get into the service and, and, you know, where they hide a paper clip in the bathroom to see if somebody finds it and all this other stuff. Uh, but, one, <laughs> That's ridiculous. but one is just about, well, I mean, you know, I, I, it is, yeah, it's, it's I get it. Company, like. <laughs> I, I know, I get it. It's, uh, it, it's interesting to me that, you know, the one stars, um, there's got to be a mix of some of them. They're like, oh, we want to be two stars. And then other ones are like, no, we, we're good at one star. We're making good food, you know who cares? We don't need all the other pomp and circumstance. And then other ones are probably like, well, how do we get to two? How do we get to three? You know, how do we climb that staircase? But right. Yeah. Maybe, it's, maybe that's not necessary for some people. They feel like they can live in that one star space and and that's plenty of business. I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, anybody that's using that guide as a you know, template or not a template, but so much as a reference for where to eat is not going to be ever upset with just going to one star. Cause there's not a ton of three star spots out there. And I feel like the waves are felt throughout food, though, too. It's like if they get that one star, like it's not just like they're in the guide. They're also just in the zeitgeist, in the public conversation, like in the everyone knows they're good. It sort of creates that, you know, ripples throughout media. So it's very validating, I think. I mean, it's like, yeah, you 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 worked real hard. You you didn't sleep much. Your family didn't see you much. You, You know, you poured your life into this thing. And you're now it's validated. Like it's this yeah. this third party this third party group recognizes you as being uh, among the the few, the elite, the you know the truly exceptional. So their their cities are kind of limited. Which, which cities they review? Do you from your travels? Do you feel like there are some cities that you've you've been to that are like wow maybe maybe the guide should come here at some point? That's a super. That's a fantastic question. Multiple layers to it um so i've lived <laughs> give me what you got buddy give me what you got yeah yeah i've lived uh, around the, the u.s a bit depending on where, how you would uh, justify like living somewhere being you know more than a year than i've only lived in really three cities no, 90 90 US. days man 90 days in the same spot and i feel like you catch the vibe yeah 100 percent same so by those by that metric i've lived in a fair amount of time in florida Mm-hmm. You know, just just enough to click over in New York City, uh, Austin, Texas, San Diego, and then Portland, right? Mm-hmm. And 
the Michelin Guide really only goes to uh, California now. It used to just be San Francisco, not L.A. or anything else. But now it's the entire state of California. Uh, I think I believe the entire state of Illinois. I know that for whatever reason, they went beyond Chicago and also the entire state of New York. Because there's some stuff, Hudson Valley and whatnot. Um, and then I think now Washington, D.C. And there's one I'm forgetting, but also Florida. I didn't know reason. they were in D.C. Okay. I, that's news yeah, to D- me that D- they were in D.C. Right before the pandemic, they added D.C. Oh, it was like, okay. It was like 2019 or I think it was 2019. So I guess there's like five places. It's like New York, Illinois, California, D.C., and Florida. And I may be forgetting one. But I've absolutely been places uh, in other parts of the country, like Boston has, you know, spots that are Michelin star caliber. Um, Seattle, uh, Portland has a couple, not a ton, but um, but they're also not trying to be that. You know, Portland's a different kind of vibe, as is like Charleston and some other foodie towns. There's some stuff but in New Orleans you, that would get a star. Like, like high stars, like three stars even in some of these places? Or are you just seeing like a one or two? Uh, like, have you been to anything that's like full on, like white cloth, like super high end presentations? I don't, I don't think anybody's really gunning for three because that just takes, okay. I, I think at that point, you're, you're really, the price point is going to reflect it in order to do all the little nuanced things sure. that are able to achieve it. But I think there's some two-star stuff, like in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, I mean, up by you in Seattle, Canlis is stellar. Yes. Um, I've been in that restaurant. Top. I haven't eaten there, but I've been in the restaurant as a, as a sales rep and it is, uh, it's impressive. Beautiful views, beautiful food. And the staff is just, they know exactly what they're doing. It's all very purposeful. I appreciate yeah. it. And then what's, there's like an island off of Washington that uh, you have to like helicopter to. Oh, and it's an all yeah. Inclusive. Where it's Oprah used to live. Yeah. 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 I can't think of the name of the restaurant there. Um, didn't they just close down? Um, Meadowood? Uh, no. Meadowood's no, in California. It is with sorry. an M, I want to say. But yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard about that one too. And I haven't been out there either. But yeah. There are some interesting restaurants going on uh, on the high end here for sure. And I haven't had the opportunity to go to too many, but I'd like to. Yeah, yeah. I need to start doing the Michelin star restaurants. I think my my experience, I, I, I really appreciate like your perspective on a lot of this food stuff, because I feel like you have a a different catalog. Like you can go have a cheeseburger with me and appreciate it for what it is. And that's awesome. And I, I appreciate that in you. But then also your perspective comes from like a lot more information on, on, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but higher end food, <laughs> the Michelin stuff. So yeah, I, I really, I really do appreciate that. You know, to, to the, to your point, uh, hamburgers, like we went and had that really great smash burger when you came to visit, yes. Uh, yes. you know, shout out, shout out to burger Stevens. But I, as best of my knowledge, he and his they wife worked it. in Michelin star restaurants in, in New York, but you know, <laughs> excellent that, point. That's true. So yeah. even, yeah, he's coming from that background too, but went to chase his passion or to do something approachable or something appropriate for where he's at. And he's done really well with it. And I absolutely think that if that's not the best smash burger in Portland, it's top three, for sure. Yeah. It's, I was in love. It, and also just, I don't know what a cool experience. I love the pod food experience and, those little food courts all over Portland. I, I really dig on that. It's uh, it's a lot of uh, owner operator stuff. And that's I, I'm more and more. I just really look for that kind of singular perspective. Um, not too many editors in the way kind of thing. And I, yeah. I really like that. And then when they do the one product, I was talking to to Alex a little bit about this on a, on an earlier podcast. 
um, the one product allows kind of a, um, a really focused vision. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, God, I would, re- I would always choose probably nine out of 10 times a place that does one thing really well over a place that tries to, do, you know, or attempts to whether or not they achieve it or not yeah. do yeah. 20 let's, things. Let's really get well. rid of the, the, the 40 page laminated menus. Like, can we not do that right. anymore, please? <laughs> Just do a view of a few things for all it. your energy and love into that and really do them well. And like you stock less stuff in the kitchen, you, you know, your profit, like your margins get better. You have less to source, like, yeah, just do a few things really well. Like I love that. Like that's my own. And and I I feel like those pods kind of encourage that behavior because there are other options right next to you. So you don't have to be all things to all people. There's not that struggle of like, well, we better offer a, you know, a soup, you know, it's like, no, there's a a cart, there's a cart right next to you. That's called soups and more like, let them do the soups. Right. Like we're going to do pozole and hamburgers and lasagna. And it's like, no, no yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, just, just do the hamburgers, man. So I, 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 that environment is super attractive to me. I, I really hope to have my own owner operator type thing someday. And, and they, they got it going on. I really enjoy that environment. So, you know, something you mentioned too, is that uh, French fries were one of your, your favorite uh, fast food type or quick service type foods. Where do you like the French fries, or who do you whose French fries do you eat? In you can say Belgium, Portland. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's really the perfect one because uh, the Belgian frites are. I mean, they're oh. varietal potato. We don't we don't really get much of in the states. Yes, that and Dutch they, yellow. They, yeah, and they cook them. I want to say three times. It's like a a part a boil, and then they're fried at two different temperatures with a rest in between in two different oils. Yes. yes. All of which are important yeah. to setting up the starch for pure creaminess. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, they've been working at it for hundreds of years, but it's so good. Um, yeah, it's like it's like literally a mashed potato contained in this perfectly shattered crisp shell. That's a great way to describe it. And that's when I want French fries. That's what I want, and that's why in America I kind of seek out steak fries because I feel mm. like those end up with that kind of mashed potato on the inside. It's a, it's a different cut. It's a little bit different of an experience. But quite often, steak fries get me as close as I can get to frites. Absolutely. But if well, you're if you're getting fries here in America, course. though, who are you getting them from? Shit, uh, I'm trying to think of where my favorites would be. I look, yeah, I'm not going to feed waffle, you an answer here. Cut? No, don't, 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 don't. I said the waffle cut fry is a favorite. Just so much surface area of crunch to it. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm trying to think who is my favorite. Like I really one so that, that would came probably to be Chick Fil A. Yeah, or rallies or whatever it's called, where depending on where you're at in the country. Checkers, sure. Um, yeah, checkers. Yep, yep. I think that's the sister spot. Yep. Or, um, I also, I'm kind of a mixed bag about loaded fries, but a, a friend of mine is mm. a chef who's in Vegas now. He had a spot in San Diego called Ironside, and they would do these really great uh, fries that were coated in malt vinegar powder, oh, and then covered I'm in. in uh, bacon clam chowder so oh come like, on um, excuse yeah. me yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the, the slutty version of seafood oh, poutine i'm yeah. i'm instantly offended that i haven't had that yet <laughs> that I know, sounds like so the, the, good it is the acid bite from the vinegar oh, um yeah it just cuts the richness of the bacon and the clam the cream and Man. the textural contrast of the wet fries with the crunchy fries and uh, i've like, got to make this happen i'm gonna have to create my own version of this 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 just sounds amazing 
I think yeah, loaded I fries the- are going to be a big item going forward. I see people doing loaded fries, loaded tots, kind of, you know, all over Instagram. So I think that's going to be something that is going to be on the rise in the future for sure. 100%. It's just executing them. It's a lot like uh, executing chilaquiles. I think I can think of, if I've had chilaquiles 100 times in my life, I've had it done well like two or three. Because, you know, I, I still want the chips to be crunchy, just like I still want the fries to be all crunchy. In the words of the late great hero, Anthony Bourdain, everything crunchy is good. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> that Our saint. You know, I, I, yeah, yes, the patron saint. <laughs> Delicious. Uh, rest in peace. But, yeah, I, I want crunch in it. Like, I want textural contrast. It's like I, I find myself more and more drawn to simple things executed well that, you know, are balanced in terms of they've got the, the savory component, but also the acidic component. They've got the salty component, but um, and just textural contrast in terms of like crunchy, but also and, soft. And chili quiles may reign supreme. I mean, there are probably some dishes that come close, but I would agree with you that they that dish just man, umami, savory, heat, textural differences, just oh, yeah. richness. I'm such a fan. I had a roommate in college that used to make that on the regular and i'm still friends with him um changed my life with that dish <laughs> i got to the point where i would be like buying the ingredients and being like eddie can you can you make some more chile quiles so yeah. good such such a <laughs> fan and he did he did them great too yeah when it's good it's great and when it's yes. bad it's sad yeah and i've certainly ordered them off menu trying to chase that dragon and found out that uh yeah it's not universally done well it's it's quite often served as almost a tortilla soup type thing which i'm not really after right same same because the chips just get flaccid yes <laughs> yes it, it, it also is it's almost like french fries in that it has like a window of opportunity as well so it really does need to be served like immediately and piping hot mm-hmm do you have a, a dragon like that that you've been chasing for a while that just have you haven't been able to find or like a, an experience um, that you're trying to replicate? Oh, man, you're, you're sitting in my mind uh, going here. So I have this love affair with seafood enchiladas, uh, enchilada sueza. Okay. And I've, I've had them really, really good, but they're generally really bad. And I keep ordering them. Uh, they're sort of my nemesis. I, I love mole, so mm-hmm. I'll I'll get something with mole, and then I'll like, oh, you know, in this combo, you can get uh, the enchilada of your choice, and I'll be like, oh yeah, I want that seafood suiza enchilada, and uh, yeah, it's usually not good. The seafood's generally overcooked. The sauce is no good. The interpretation on that dish seems very broad. It's it's called suiza because they're like, oh, it has lots of cheese. It's a cheese-based sauce, and the Swiss people like cheese, so let's call it Swiss enchiladas. And <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the seafood selection is usually quite varied. I've had it with really, really good quality uh, seafood, including like calamari and stuff like that. And then I've had it with just fake crab and, yeah, I don't know. Not not good yeah. stuff that's overcooked. So that's yeah, probably the one thing that I keep trying to get everywhere and I just can't. So I make them at home. I've got some in the fridge right now that I made recently. <laughs> nice. And I like my recipe, but for whatever reason, I still try to order them out. What about you? Oh, Lord, I have this one I've been chasing for 10 years now. Um, yeah, tell us. <laughs> I was in Paris and I, you know, naturally, I guess this is 10-ish years ago. And I was like, I completely studied what Bourdain and uh, Eric Repair did on, on his hundredth episode of uh, oh, oh, awesome. what was, what was, yeah. yeah, 
or no reservations. I think it was Reser- no reservations. Yeah. And uh, I followed that. And I also looked at his older episode, but I was like, just going to all the spots he went at the time there was social media wasn't much of a thing. And uh, definitely was no, no real Instagram uh, contingent. And a lot of restaurants in Paris still didn't have phones. They couldn't call them, or, you know, or they didn't yep. have email or whatever. It was very difficult to get a hold of them. So I'd pick this one spot, Frenchie, that he, he went to that looked great. Tried to go for lunch and it turned out on weekends they weren't open for lunch. I showed up on Saturday. And it's November in Paris and it's rainy and shitty and like cold and just brutal. And that place was in, I think, like the 12th or on these mall or something, just like out sort of not really convenient to where we were staying, which of course, like tourists was the Champs Elysees. Okay. Um, so get out there and I'm like, son of a bitch, you know, I get to, it's like open for lunch Monday to Friday and it's Saturday. I'm like, nah. Mm. Uh, so just walking down that same street that it was on, come upon this this little uh, cafe, uh, bistro, whatever you want to call it, with a red um, awning and it was raining. So we poke up under the red awning and there's a heat heat lamp and uh, just ordered two things. I'll never forget. One was like a salmon tartare with with uh, like avocado and it was, it was nice. It was fine. And just the French onion soup or soup lion. And that soup came out. And I'm salivating just trying to recount the story like a decade later. <laughs> but fuck me. Like yeah. it, it just, it filled your ocular cavities with this aroma that was the most intoxicating thing you've ever had. I mean, it was mm. the most, you want to talk depth of flavor. A few things in my life I've ever experienced that had both texture, like they perfectly kind of, I mean, not quite brulee. I don't know. I'm not a chef, so I really don't know what that, the correct term is for that. But when they get the top of the cheese sort of browned, so there's literally that large, you know, disc of uh, bread, I guess you could almost call it a crouton underneath the cheese, mm-hmm. but the, the bread still had the perfect amount of bite so that your spoon would cut through the bread and the cheese at the same time. And you get this bite mm-hmm. with all these hyper caramelized onions and the most like, savory broth you've ever had in your life and uh, just my eyes rolled back in my head and time stopped for a moment and i looked at the soup and i was like what in the actual shit just happened <laughs> you know nothing that i could have possibly eaten at frenchie would have ever lived up to the impact that that made on the rest of my life and ever since oh, then, that's so cool yeah i'm just chasing that dragon like i i want to have that french onion soup experience again and i don't know if it's been built up so much in my mind that i physically couldn't I mean, yeah, (laughs) possibly. That's just it. It's like you were in Paris having French onion soup at a place that probably makes amazing French onion soup. I'm not going to doubt that. But I think there are layers to it, you know, just like we talked about earlier with the uh, with the restaurant in Sweden. I think there are layers to the experience. And I I love that. You know, maybe you can't replicate that. And maybe you're still trying to find that, you know complimentary or, or close to uh as good french onion soup but wow yeah, i wonder did, no did it have any like uh any alcohol flavor to it did it have any sherry or cognac or anything going on do you think i'm sure it did okay that's something i in the best french onion soups i've had there's some sort of element of of alcohol and it really like it enhances the aroma but then also it gives you i don't yeah. know i don't know it gives you like a a starting point for flavor. I really like it. I like it with some little bit of alcohol in there. Yeah, I'm fairly certain there's brandy in it. Um, yeah, brandy. Okay. Sherry or brandy. There you go. Sherry Beautiful. or brandy. One of the two. Maybe they yeah. deglaze a pan and they caramelize the onions in or I don't know what. But uh, yeah, they say, I guess they say no man steps in the same river twice, right? Because neither the man nor the river is the same. It's the same. I like so, that. 
Yeah. So could I, I ever know. experience it? There's a handful of things I will only eat in certain places because they're so good that I'm like, like there's a one place in the United States, in the world that I'll have a martini uh, or actually go to my way to have a martini. Like it's, you know, a lovely classic cocktail, but um, there's a restaurant in Portland, Maine called Eventide Oyster Bar. And when they shuck the oysters, they save the liquor, the liquid oh, in the oysters. Nice. And they use it to make martinis. And it is so, so much better than a standard dirty martini. Yeah, and I'm like, not a martini person, but I would absolutely go for that. That sounds right up my alley. I, I really like oyster liquor. That's why I like oysters. So that would be amazing. Just that briny, there, there it's few, that depth yep. of salt flavor. It's like a kiss from the ocean. Yeah. But yeah, that one is... Uh... That's all. I just go there and drink those. Like I, normally, I'm a I don't know, whiskey or or mezcal based cocktail guy. But if I'm in Portland, Maine, I just want to drink those until I can't see straight. <laughs> okay, now I want one of those. That's what's happened so far in in these interviews. Is I I end up with a list of things that I need to try, and I I kind of love it for that. I feel like my journey is you know going to be influenced by all these wonderful experiences I get to live through other people, um, and I I super appreciate that. So now I want one of those, obviously. And I'll probably go have one somewhere that's not at that place in Portland. And I'll be like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> but I should have gone to Portland, <laughs> Maine and had the real one. So maybe I'll just do that. Maybe I'll just wait for that one. It's a funny way to have. That. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's when, you, when you make a recommendation, I'm sure you can relate like with, to somebody to go eat a thing or try a restaurant or whatever. And they have the experience similar to what you had. And they come back and they're so excited. Like, Thank you so much for that. It was so great. It's such a huge just feeling of uh, of pride or of joy uh, for me. Like food is my love language, but I, oh, you know, I can see. it is for I'm me sure too. It's similar for you, yeah. It I is, and I I find so much that like if I can inspire somebody to even just explore more, like not only go to that restaurant I told them to go to, but then you know go a little deeper. Like oh, now I realize I like whatever that was Brazilian steakhouses or whatever. Like because of that recommendation, you've now opened a door for them. And that's really what I like is to like kick those doors open for people so that they can see like this whole new avenue of fun that they're not having. And then at some point they're like, Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. You've, you've made my life better. Yeah. That's yeah. super, super enjoyable for me because, you know, I don't want to take this journey alone. Like it's, it's important to me to share my experiences with people because of that, because I want them to go, yeah, he's having a good time. I should be doing that too. You know, instead of going home and warming up that, frozen meal like i could be living better and you absolutely can the the ingredients are out there it's i feel like with the internet it's getting easier and easier to to learn to be a good cook and so i you know i encourage people to both do that and then be more discerning about the food when they get out, go out to eat and not maybe eat the exact same thing that they had you know 600 times before because there's too much good food out there and i think supporting the people too is a big thing for me somebody asked me recently um what my deal was with taco time and really it's you know their food is good their food is fresh and locally sourced and so i appreciate that but it's so many other things there's so many other aspects to it um their family-owned company they've been around since before taco bell uh, they support their communities they pay their employees well they provide opportunities for education um they're, they're just like they're a good company they have people come in three hours before they open to start prepping so it's like real food. And 
so when I see companies operating that way, I want to shine a light on them and and people, you know, too, who are making good products. It feels like to me an opportunity to to open that door for other people. And so I I love doing. I see you doing it all the time. And honestly, Todd, I you're inspiring to me. <laughs> no kidding. Um, when I when I go out, uh, like I went out last night to the uh, 11th anniversary of Pine Box in Seattle, and I saw that. It's I was. Awesome. Yeah, I was having a good time and I was doing a really good job of going around and connecting with people in different ways, a lot of times with food and music and things like that. But I swear I got home and I said to Heather, I was like, I was I was channeling Todd last night, you know, or tonight Aww. because I really felt like I was connecting with people and and you're the way you do that I find to be um really cool because you, you know, it's like I I want to use food to make that connection. And yet I don't kind of, sometimes I feel like I don't seal the deal. I don't, I don't make the sale like I should. And I am follow through and then, you know, get their Instagram or get their card or whatever. And last night I did, I did a really good job of kind of making sure that I connected with everybody that was there. And um, yeah, you, hanging out with you has been, uh, and I, and I told you this when we hung out, but hanging out with you has been inspirational to me. I feel like I, 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 I wasn't full circle on my process and I need to get better at that. And honestly, this podcast is, is meant to do that as well. So thank you so I much for, <laughs> yeah, thank you for both being an inspiration to me, a lot of other people. Um, and I'm excited about what you, what you have coming in the future. You know, we had talked too uh, about how, and you know, if you're amenable to this, I feel like you're the kind of person I'm going to want to check in with a lot in the future. So um, you may be, as much as you're willing to be, you may be a bit of our travel correspondent that we check in with occasionally just kind of catch up to your adventures. I'm certainly going to want to talk to you about that uh, Michelin star chase. That's exciting. And if if it works out and I can get out to uh, New York, I would love to even tag along and uh, and take pictures or whatever I can do to help. Hell yeah. Love to have you, man. So we both have a background in beverages. Um, you, uh, you'd you mentioned your favorite, and I actually like this answer quite a bit because I feel like it describes what I would say about the drinks I like. You said your, your beverage choices are effervescent, acidic, and refreshing beverages. And that's, yeah, I agree. And I feel like those answers are perfect for food too. Like all everything you just said there to me is what I want when I eat food. Is that where that comes from? Sure. Or just maybe it's just from being frustrated with the sheer amount of sweet uh, beverages that people make these oh, days just to, pl to please me the, too. you know, the, the breadth of the palate out there. I, I'm so kind of over. I just want something assertive or, or bitter or which, like you said, functions really well as a palate cleanser, goes great mm -hmm. with food that's either rich or spicy or whatever. But who wants like a sweet ass cocktail? with food that's savory and rich. I mean, it's just not going to play nice, but something that's fizzy and, and bright and acidic and, and citrusy is just fantastic on a hot day or the start of a meal to like open, open things up or even as, you know, contrast as a dish you have that's more savory and rich, uh, mm -hmm. a lot more uh, functionality. It's a lot more dynamic. So that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel is that's a very functional beverage. Whereas, you know, the sweeter stuff, it's almost like it needs to stand alone. I feel like something that's effervescent and refreshing and maybe just a little tart fits like perfectly into any setting. 
I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Palette opener or whatever you want to call it. Whatever the bougie term you want to use. So when I first met you in person, we were at Cantillon in Belgium, which is a which great is a place great to story. meet somebody. Which, yeah, I, I, I love story. that. I'm like literally sitting next to you because we had a mutual friend and I was like, hey, man, yeah. you know, we shook hands and stuff. And I didn't we realize we've been friends on Facebook for like years or something. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, like, Jeffrey, totally. Jeffrey Airman. I'm like, shit. Hey, what's up, man? You know, like, <laughs> I cyber know you. <laughs> yeah, that was so super cool. But... You're one of my and favorite, this... actually, I must say, of everyone I've met, because I have a lot of people that I've connected with via social media that like yeah. I love their posts and like things really they're really passionate people which unites us um and we have similar interests and it's really cool when i get to meet them in person but you you and i were like all right this guy's we're gonna be friends i hope you're cool with that you know (laughs) oh hell yeah absolutely and and this whole talk about sweet sweet beverages makes me think about a tour i took there at cantillon where the tour guide really went off on this tangent about how um the belgians invented beet sugar and because of that, the Belgian palate, because of all the chocolate there and all the sweets that were created there, because of the abundance of beet sugar, the Belgian palate went sweet. And that's why it had gone away from lambic, from dry, effervescent, uh, acidic beverages. And he, you know, said that if you go to, you know, travel around Belgium and look at the the taps, and I started doing this after he told me this, he said, look, a lot of them will have Coca-Cola on there as well. And he hated that. He was uh, pretty pretty upset about that. I thought that was a really interesting. Uh, he kind of gave me a a different perspective on um, just sweet and beverage. And another another thing he said, and this is kind of a philosophy thing. I love people who have a strong philosophy. I feel like that's where passion comes from. Is you start by building a philosophy, and then you get really fired up about it. Um, but he said that. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, that the the normal way to make a product is to set a standard of quality. And so when your product reaches that standard, it's good enough and you release it. He said, if you avoid that standard of quality, then your product can be better than good enough. But sometimes it may not be as good as that standard. But by setting that standard, you're keeping it from ever being beyond that standard. And so that's what Cantillon wants to do is they want to create things that are never standard. And so they may deviate above or below. And that is nature and that is life. And we need to accept those sort of variances. And I just thought that was super cool. So I left that that tour like with my mind just going nuts. Like, whoa, he's laid some heavy stuff on us. And it was really cool. I really I love, love that it, place. Yeah. yeah. No, it holds a same. special I, place in my mind. Yeah, I, I pretty much, first time I ever went to Brussels was specifically to go there. Like I got yeah. off, this right over by Midi or whatever the station is. That is right there, and yeah. I, yeah, I got, got off at the station, went straight there, drank till they closed, <laughs> finally went and found my hotel, ate some frites. And I was only in Belgium for 24 hours the first time and like got up the next morning, went back over there, made a whole bunch more new friends from the States and everywhere else where people just and that's totally how it is. Yes, you just open bottles and then you start meeting people from Australia, from England, from France. It's so great. Yeah, for, for I really love the time, atmosphere uh, they've created there. Oh, 100%. It's amazing. It's un- uh, induplicable. <laughs> it is. But, uh, what do you call it? The guard in, in uh, coastal Oregon. And I think it was a lot like that because it used to be, I think it's still in an airplane hangar, but they chose the location because the, the bovine bacteria in the air creates a certain kind of flavor in the spontaneously fermented beer. Um, but like you would go and they only had two beers on draft initially. 
and uh, they were only open three days a week for like four hours a day. And you just show up and there's all these other people like just excited outside waiting for them to open. And you just start Love like it. making eye contact with people and they'd be like, hey, uh, I'll get this bottle if you want to get that bottle. And then we can all share that. And then you're just all of a sudden you're at a barrel, like a barrel table with five other people. And you've all gotten some, you know, uh, 750 milliliter bottle of some amazing beer, some of the best in the U.S. And you're all just pouring each other. And now you've got friends for life. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that experience. I feel like that is the pinnacle of the beer share is that right there is we're all here for the same reason. Let's all get different bottles. Let's all share, discuss them. I don't even know you. I've never met you before, but let's let's be friends today. I like that. Yeah, same. Back I feel like what to... you're good at, though, is you would leave that with uh, a few actual friends for life that you're able to connect with and be like, hey, I'm in Nashville. <laughs> let's hang out. And they'd be like, OK. No, I want to get better at doing that. I want to get better at building those connections. I, I, I really do admire that. I appreciate that. Like literally, yeah. where I'm sitting right now is at a close friend's house that I made through beer, maybe we 10 go. years ago. Yep. And he, he lived in Florida at the time, as did I, and he moved to Austin. He's like, "Yeah, man, come hang out sometime in Austin." And like, when the fire is really bad in the Pacific Northwest, I, uh, they, you know, they were bad from California up to Cal, uh, Canada. And I was just looking at the map, like where the fire is not that bad in Texas. All right, cool. So I was nice. like, hey, man, is it cool if I still come visit? And I'd never stayed with him or anything. He's like, sure. What do you think? And I'm like, tomorrow? He's like, <laughs> all right, let's do it. So I came out and like now, you know, really close. We're like family pretty much. Awesome. But, uh, that that relationship was fostered over craft beer. That's, yeah. And that's, uh, I feel like beer and food is the way I connect to people for sure. It's something that. You know, I can share with a lot of people, but when you find somebody that even has like similar perspectives and similar connection, it's just even stronger. It's like, oh, we're on the same team. Like we're we're both trying to support, you know, good producers doing good things and trying to progress the industry and progress food in general. It's it's fun to be a part of that. But there are probably also the same people that are listening to better music or, you know, small artists or trying yeah. to put their dollars support with their dollars you know like trying to make people that are working really hard to do things to, it is it's almost produced. a shorthand yeah it's a shorthand to find people who are kind of on the same page of of yeah being uh what do they call that being a conservator or a um someone who i can't think of the term right now someone who puts collections of good things together i think that's what you do is you seem to <laughs> you seem to like evaluate a city put your collection of good things together and then keep building on it or editing it as time goes forward and i don't know i know you've written a, a guide before but i feel like you could write uh you could write lots of guides or even some sort of like general maybe an approach like what your approach is how to find good things like how you determine whether it's going to be good or not and then how you determine after the fact if it was living up to your expectations i think that's that's what I want to do more than anything is instead of having people follow in my footsteps is to like give them to, the guide to be their own version of whatever I am, you know, an explorer. I want them to also be an explorer, but I feel like there's an opportunity for it to be more personal if they can like make more choices for themselves instead of me just saying like, these are the five places you must go. It's like, okay, so here's five places that I liked and here's why I liked them. And then you kind of give them that freedom to maybe make a few choices for themselves. Yeah, you teach, teach a man to fish. Yes, total teach a man to fish. Yeah, absolutely. I have a buddy well, let's talk dessert. 
Oh yeah, sorry. Hit yeah, let's, let's no, no, you're good. You're good. Let's talk. Let's talk dessert real quick, and we'll wrap up. But like I said, uh, I, I'm gonna need you to come back, Todd. This is not enough, Todd, for this podcast. <laughs> so we'll we'll be checking in with you again soon. But I do want to talk panna cotta and key lime pie because I also love both of those things. They're, those are both two like kind of touches on what you had said before: acidic, cooling, refreshing. Like those are good good meal enders for me. Hundred percent. Yeah, panna cotta is like delicate but creamy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's. I mean, it's not difficult to execute, but it is when it's executed well. It's like it's one of those things that's in a really tight window, really special. Like when they really, really nail the texture, yeah. it is bang on. Very few um, ingredients, it's, so it's it becomes a lot about technique. Hundred percent. Um, and by completely different contrast, you've got uh, where you know it's uh, panna cotta is much more homogenous, both in texture and flavor. Um, you've got key lime pie, which lends to my growing up in the South, but it's tart, but also savory. Uh, and you've got the buttery, crunchy, uh, graham cracker crust, but then like you just load it with, uh, citrus zest or key lime zest, um, and then cream on top. So you've got the three different textures, uh, and then so much acidity to, um, you know, counterpoint. The, the savory, the richness of mm-hmm. the cream and the egg egg yolk and everything else that's in there. So that's a special one, mostly, I mean, from my youth, but also because it's just a fairly balanced dessert for given how dense it is. You know? I love it. Have you found a good one in the Pacific Northwest? Have you found good key lime I, pie I, out I here? I haven't found a good key lime pie outside of the South. Maybe okay. in New York That's City. What I, I didn't think back, so. But... Yeah. I haven't had one outside the South either. I think the last good slice I had was in Florida. So, Yeah. And who the hell's shipping key limes worth a damn to the Pacific Northwest? Like, oh, I'm Pacific sure Northwest not. is spectacular produce. I was blown away by the selection of produce we have up there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's some of the best in the country in, in season. Uh, but yeah, key limes don't seem to be something that grow much outside the Keys. In Brazil? No, I haven't seen them. And key limes have that very, really nice balance of sweetness, acidity, flavor. Like they got it all going on. That's a, such a special lime. It's really different than a lime. Yeah, it is unique. For it, just they they work so well. Whoever figured that out would be an interesting history story all into itself. Most definitely. All right, Todd. Well, we're going to call it there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I am going to get back to you soon to kind of catch up to what you got going on. When did you have planned the uh, New York adventure or, or, or dates being looked at for that? We're looking at November. So November. it's not locked okay. in, but uh, okay. we've been in contact with Guinness and they've been giving us what we have to do in terms of to you know check all the boxes and everything to make sure it's an official record. So I love it. Got the ball rolling and we're yeah, I love it. You you, you deserve recognition, so I'm on that team for sure. I appreciate it. <laughs> you I'll bet, pre- man. Hey, and off. I appreciate you. Let's let's talk again soon. Thanks for coming on, Todd.